welcome to Start Canada Podcast, where we interview startup founders, innovators, and thought leaders from the heart of Canada who are challenging the status quo, scaling their business, and bringing new ideas to life. Tune in with me, your host, Margot Miller, to hear firsthand exactly how they did it. Start Canada Podcast is powered by the Manitoba Technology Accelerator and Tech Manitoba and sponsored by Scotiabank. Marshall, welcome to Start Canada Podcast. Well, thank you. I'm pleased to be here. Marshall, start by telling us a bit about the journey of MTA, so Manitoba Technology Accelerator, from, say, day one to now in, in as easy of a form as you can. <laughs> yeah, gosh. Um, so, I mean, we got to start with Biomedical Commercialization Canada then, which was okay. our name on day one. And then okay. when I think about the length of time, um, you know, sometimes we make a joke about in the startup world, one year, it, you know, it's like dog years. So one year is more like seven years. Right. So when I think about how long we've been around with the dog year analogy, um, it's been a long time. But um, <clears throat> so MTA, born mm-hmm. as BCC, um, th- probably the best thing it, that had with its origin story is it was a market pull approach. And so I'll tell you about our origin story, and I'm going to bastardize the timeframes a little bit, sure. um, but it makes for a, a better story, right? So um, don't ever let the facts get We're in the way of a good story. We're here for a good story. story. Right? Yeah, so, right, right, exactly. <laughs> um, so uh, it was BCC, so we'll just call it MTA, Manitoba sure. Technology Accelerator, was it's we're a, pri- a private sector but not-for-profit organization. So not-for-profits have what are called founding members. Uh, a for-profit organization would have shareholders, and we have founding members. So our two founding members were the National Research Council of Canada and the province of Manitoba. And um, so it's born out of the experience where there was a company called IMRIS, which stands for Intraoperative Magnetic Resonance Imaging Systems. So they had these great engineers and physicists and researchers at the National Research Council building, and they figured out a way to move a three Tesla magnet so that now you could use it intraoperatively. So when someone was getting... um, you know, a tumor removed from their brain, they would be able to move the magnet over top of the person during the surgical procedure and get an image. Um, have we taken the tumor out? How, and, and then you don't have to, it, it improves that you don't have to take as much margins out, which is important when you're removing um, parts of people's brains. So, but right. you can still get the tumor out. So now <clears throat> what happened is they had this great technical advancement. And then the company, um, raised some venture capital, and then it was starting to fail. It wasn't progressing down the commercialization pathway all that well. And Even though they had something that was a pretty great, great revelation. Right, yeah. okay. First in the world. And, and so then, um, the company was about to fail, and a private sector invest, uh, investment person came in and bought the company. Um, fortunately, kept it in Winnipeg. And then they put in a private sector management team and then the company started its J-curve extension. So we talk about J-curves. Um, what we're really aspiring for is a company that has exponential growth based on an unfair competitive advantage, not linear growth. Like if you were to open a hair salon, you could service maybe one more customer a day. We want those J-curve companies. So Imris started its J-curve ascension. And so um, people started to say, well, really, let's have a look at what happened here. Technology didn't change. The market didn't change. People still needed to apply it um, with hospitals and surgical procedures, but management changed. So maybe there's a role for private sector management in the process of commercializing technology as opposed to just leaving it in the hands of the scientists. 
And then to use a simple example, you know, if uh, you want to build a house, you need a plumber and an electrician. You don't want the plumber doing the electrical work and you don't want the electrician doing the plumbing. So there's different skill sets that need to be applied as you come through the commercialization process and commercialize technologies. So the NRC in the province of Manitoba said, maybe it's time that we put in place this not-for-profit in, in infrastructure that can apply private sector management skills to help commercialize technologies. Mm -hmm. And voila, um, MTA was born from that experience. Here we are, long story short. Well, yeah, <laughs> long story long, but yeah, thank you. What about the fact that at the time, so they have this interesting concept in front of them, proof is in the pudding kind of thing. And then were other provinces doing a similar thing? And was there a model that you guys could compare to? Yeah. So um, timing uh, was good in that regards because um, as this uh, experience of commercializing technology was occurring, business incubators were starting to get a fair bit of traction. And I think uh, in the U.S., um, specifically in about the mid-90s, early 90s, there was a lot of activity. So um, the first little bit of time with uh, Biomedical Commercialization Canada, now MTA, is uh, there was external market analysis, looking at best practices, what do other regions do in terms of building their incubator, what are the different models, and then we brought back something um, for the board of directors to con consider that would work in our minds here in Winnipeg. Mm -hmm. Was there other support that you personally needed at the time to really get it going? Like, who were the people that were really in your corner? Um, the What well, was interesting, because... I was about, I think, the only employee at the time for MTA. And then we were working really collaboratively with um, the NRC IRAP folks. And I remember um, still around, you you probably rub uh, elbows with her, was Mavis McRae. Mm -hmm. um, so she was involved in helping build some of these programs. So it's, it's interesting to see how some of us who were involved in the formation of the business model are still involved in the technology commercialization space today. Yeah, that is interesting that it's clearly a passion for those people. So for you personally, Marshall, how did you know that this was your path? Because now, you, like you say, you've been doing this for a long time. It's been an amazing evolution, but yeah. at that early phase? <laughs> well, you know, um, number one, I didn't have great aptitude at much. So I had to find something where I could have a chance to succeed. Um, but it, I remember um, I used to work for the province of Manitoba as a business analyst. And um, this was before really technology commercialization and startups were given um, the attention that, that they now receive. Right. And the province um, did, you know, they were doing their best. They had a, a show and they had some companies that were essentially looking for investment. So the province hosted a pitch, pitch show. And uh, my buddy, Bobby Cavanaugh, I remember, um, was there uh, with a company. And uh, they were pitching. And after the presentation, so here's, here's these young guys. They're passionate about Manitoba. They're passionate about chasing their dream. You know, they're giving all types of personal sacrifice and they want to make their community a better place and they want to build wealth for our region and give people jobs and commercialize technology and do all the wonderful things that come with that. And after the presentation, there was about maybe 15 comments or questions from the audience. All 15 were people criticizing the people and saying why they're going to fail. And not one person said, here's some of the challenges you're going to face and I want to be there to help solve some of those barriers and help you. I know it's going to be tough, but let's try to do this together. And I was so discouraged after that presentation and the response by the audience of just people being so critical. It, you know, everybody can say, here's the reasons you're going to fail. Very few people have the courage um, to say, I think there's going to be challenges, but I'm going to throw my lot in with you and see if I can't help you succeed. So in the absence of that, um, that day is when I decided I would, you know, try to try to be at least one person 
who wants to be on the I'll help you succeed side. Mm-hmm. Is it hard to find a renewed passion once you've started or or what gives you that sense of renewed passion? Because since you have, again, been doing this for a while now. Yeah, um, I actually think it's a lot like uh, Avalanche starting, right? So there was a little snowball at first. Um, and But now it's just, um, it's, a, it's a, a positive feedback cycle. And then we start seeing the successes that we're having. We start seeing um, the you know, the, the wonderful experiences and just the positive impact we're having on our community. And um, I, I tell you, I'm just blessed every day to be able to do this. And and then the people we're meeting, um, it's, yeah, I, I, passion isn't my problem. Yeah, I, f- I find those stories of the people that you meet really exciting. And you're one of the people who are right in there in the guts of it as they're achieving those milestones that we get to talk about on the show. So, Marshall, you've said that, and this is a great kind of a goal that you guys have, is making Winnipeg the startup capital of Western Canada. Tell me a little bit about that goal. Yeah, so I've got a commitment to my board of directors to um, everything that we do should be couched against two objectives. Number one, is this going to help make Winnipeg the startup capital of Western Canada? And number two, is this going to help us build more $100 million companies out of Manitoba? And those are the two things that I use as a construct when I, in my decision-making process to figure out, are these the right activities for the organization to do? Um, and again, I, you know, I, I would say both goals might seem outrageous, um, more so five years ago than, than they are maybe today. Um, but we've had experience and we've had success. And so we've seen we can build these great companies. Um, and, and the one thing we've got in our favor in terms of making Winnipeg the startup capital of Western Canada is, is the people here um, and the entrepreneurial spirit and just the intelligence and, and mostly the hard work. And I learned a lot from Josh Samer on this topic about loyalty. Um, so, I th- you know, we're not going to build the next Snapchat where you've got you need to evangelize a market and it has to be lots of marketing dollars. We're going to win based on finding solutions to hard problems and bringing technology to play on those types of companies because we have loyalty. There's not as much um, transition with people just wanting to jump off to the next thing. Um, When people sink their teeth into technology problems here in Winnipeg, they want to see it through. So that lets us solve harder technology problems that maybe take a longer time to solve, but that's really where we think we've got a great advantage. And um, as we're starting to see some success, we want to be the startup capital of Western Canada. Um, We want to build these companies. We want to attract people from other parts of the world and other parts of the country to come here. And again, uh, you know, maybe going back to that analogy of the avalanche that started, it's easier. Now we've got momentum and there's no reason we can't um, take that. Mm -hmm. When you first started explaining those goals, Marshall, too, I was wondering if you had advice for organizations that were starting out, whether that's private business, some of the startups you work with, or whether that's people, you know, maybe trying to launch a startup hub of some kind. Um, those goals you have are, are lofty, right? They're they're big ends to try and achieve. Is that something you would recommend to people, like set a goal that is possible but far out of reach? Or how close in reach do you advise those, those ends to be? Yeah, well, I, I would argue that um, th- those would be two distinct choices. Should they have those goals? Maybe not if you're starting. Should they have goals of that are a bit stretched but attainable? Absolutely. So um, some of the vernacular we would use around MTA is crawl, walk, run. Um, and I heard that great podcast uh, with Catherine, um, the last episode, where she's talking about that experience of starting with six bouquets. Mm-hmm. That's definitely a crawl. Right, um, yeah. where, the, where Kelly is at now. And so 
But let's, you, you know, so if you're trying to start a, a hub um, or build something in your community, I would say what's a reasonable expectation that you could achieve? A bit of a stretch goal, but it also validates the core principles. Um, so you would want to see, you know, what what would, and, and a great question, I, uh, I think it's a great question. I use it a lot, no, so maybe I, <laughs> People you know, just haven't personal told you. bias. <laughs> yeah, you're correct, you, you know, you're an expert. You can tell me if it's good or not. But I always ask people what stops them from being successful. Mm-hmm. So if someone wants to build a hub, what stops them from being successful? And if you can name three or four things, then just say, okay, let's try to get that first one. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't have to be $100 million companies. Yeah. It could be a lifestyle company. But it just, you know, be clear about what you're trying to accomplish. Make sure it's strategically aligned and then measure it and accomplish it. But definitely start small. Yeah, I think that's actually a really good question because I think if you ask someone what's standing in their way, it may actually be something quite small that they can overcome quite quickly, right? So I think that's actually a really good point to have made. Yeah, and when we're dealing with um, the startup companies, so they, they come in and they, they all have wonderful visions, right? And we love hearing it. And then I'm like, well, what stops you from starting? They're like, well, what do you mean? It's doing the afternoon. What are you doing at three? And they're going, well, I got to do it. I go, well, why don't you start chasing this vision? And so we really want to get tactical and understand what stops people from being successful. Mm-hmm. Then we reach into the MTA network. And if there's something we can do to help them be successful or mitigate those barriers, coming back to my, you know, what my passion about what got me into this, we try to apply it and help people be successful. Mm-hmm. And sometimes they just need encouragement. Yeah. Absolutely. So, Marshall, well, you're in Winnipeg, and we have, in Manitoba, there's a lot of towns that are small, that are very spread out, and across our country as a whole, this happens a lot. There's a lot of small regional centers, right? Like, we know our select big cities across the country, and then there's a ton of smaller regional yeah. areas. So, if someone in a smaller regional area is saying, I want to do this, what Marcus was talking about, my community needs some version of this, albeit maybe smaller to start— what advice would you give someone looking to start a startup hub, an entrepreneurship community of some kind, or an accelerator perhaps, like anyone who's going on that path? I mean, piece of advice one is you can do it. Um, I would say let's compare Winnipeg to Toronto. So one could argue a smaller town in Manitoba compared to Winnipeg, and let's compare Winnipeg to Toronto or Vancouver or Montreal. Like The same disproportionate scale exists, but that doesn't stop us from trying to compete against them and win. Um, we recognized what our critical skills and assets were. I touched on that a little bit earlier in terms of solving hard technology prog- problems that need a little bit of uh, loyalty with so you don't lose the corporate knowledge. So I would come back to what are the skill sets that you've got, the competitive advantages, and what can you do to capture those and take advantage of them? Then the other thing you're going to need is, you know, the other part of uh, a story I told earlier was, to build a house, you need electricians and plumbers. Not one person or one organization is going to have everything. So you re- this commercializing technologies or building community hubs of technology commercialization, it is a team-building event. Um, and, you know, I guess if, the one piece of advice would be deal with mensches. So people that want to see good for others without expecting good back for themselves. And don't deal with people that are self-promoters, but deal with people that want to see your community do well, because then you've got a shared goal and it's about success of the community. It's not about success of the individual. And if you can get people aligned to that, I think that's a very powerful asset that you could build around. Mm -hmm. Identifying some of those really key people, first of all. (laughs) 
So Marshall, tell us a little bit about the difference between an accelerator, what makes it really impactful compared to maybe some other um, investment groups you can be part of or coaching programs you can be part of. Like that word accelerator has, is you guys happen to have it in your title, but I know you do a lot of things now today. Yeah. Um, but what, what would you say makes an accelerator stand out from some other types of programs that you could create? Yeah, I mean, I guess it is such a, uh, I mean, it's a wide term, if you will. And mm-hmm. I think um, maybe the federal government has now, you know, coined BAIs, business accelerators and incubators. So there's the blend of an incubator and accelerator. At one point, there was a thought about the stage of the company. Um, an incubator would help, you know, idea or, or feasibility stage companies. And then an accelerator would help development and launch companies. So it maybe goes to that spectrum of, on where they sit on the commercialization scale. But when you speak about the other um, types of supports that you were talking about, networking groups, um, I can tell you maybe some of the key features of MTA, um, where I would call myself a subject matter expert, yes, but please. not so much about the the other uh, organizations that you were mentioning. Sure. But, um, so at MTA, we never want cash to be an obstacle for someone to start to build a technology company that can scale. So we'll, we'll bring clients in on, you know, debt notes and IOUs, and we'll start providing them some of those services to help get them moving. Um, we do have a wonderful environment of other people trying to start companies and who have started. So just that environment um, where you can sort of not feel alone and look to others for success and others for shared failures um, that environment, I think, is really powerful. Mm-hmm. And I think maybe a bit of a difference between that environment compared to some of the examples you were saying is these are people that live and breathe it every day. It's not a, you know, on Thursday night, we're going to talk about um, some issues. You, you're you immersed in it. Mm-hmm. It is, you know, it's like the hardest thing for the fish to know is that it's out of water. Like these, our our folks know this is what they live and breathe. And maybe that's where it differs a bit from, say, a co-working space. So you're still benefiting in a co-working space from having adjacent businesses that you can kind of learn off of and help each other. But perhaps one of the differences there is people can come and go and it can be that they're using the co-working space for a side job and things like that compared to perhaps people that are dealing with those everyday struggles of really trying to scale something. Yeah, and it goes back to, you know, Different um, businesses, different people need different things. We would never say that real estate or availability of an office is our highest value that we deliver. The highest value we deliver to our clients is the expertise on how to commercialize technologies and the expertise to put people in who've done it before um, or done something similar. So, it's really the soft, like the, the people skills, the technical know-how that we think is our highest and best use. So we're going to surround that um, founder with a team and try to, again, coming back to having a team as opposed to an individual, commercialize that technology. So some people, if all they need is space, a co-work space is great. For others um, who need a bit more management level support, that's probably a, a point of distinction with us. Let's talk about that team concept a little bit as far as your team and the core of people supplying that wealth of knowledge to these new startups or founders. How do you find the right group of stakeholders, mentors, thought leaders in in all these areas to be able to go ahead and then pass on that knowledge? Yeah. um, One thing that uh, never continues to surprise me is the generosity of people um, for their time and for wanting to see their community do well. And um, so... It, it, it's sensational, and I, I don't have a great answer for where do we find them, but we always find them. <laughs> um, 
So tomorrow, uh, maybe, yeah, tomorrow, I'm, we've got another technology startup. We just signed a contract. We're going to launch them. They're in the IT space. They need, um, they need a little bit of structure on strategy and sales process. They got a good MVP. We got beta customers. We're getting ready to scale, but they've never scaled before. So we've got um, one, uh, the, the CEO mentor we're going to sign to them is a VP biz dev for one of uh, an IT consulting company. He knows how to scale. He knows the networks and the connections that he can use. If we're going to need some APIs built, he's going to know where we can go to get that. And this person wants to give back to the community and see more companies thrive. And so it, it literally took me about 15 seconds to say, hey, could you be a CEO mentor for, and yes, the answer is yes. Wow. So um, just our community is rich with giving people who are skilled. Mm-hmm. Do they receive anything in return for their mentorship services? Yeah, one of the things that we're pretty um, set on is our CEO mentors, we pay them $1,000 a month. Okay. And we expect them to give uh, five to seven hours to the client companies. Mm-hmm. And the reason we want to make sure we're paying them, and it's not as much as they would get at their day job, but then we can fire them. Like, <laughs> if they're not doing a good job, like, you know, if, if you're just volunteering your time, sometimes it becomes something, yeah, I'll get to it. You do it off the side of your desk kind of thing, yeah. yeah. But this is, it's a consulting engagement. They're responsible to the client. And so one of the things that we really like is tension on the line. Um, I want it with my clients. I want the clients to have it with me. And I want the service providers to have it. If you're not doing a good job, if you're not adding value to someone's life, you should leave. How do you monitor all those people when you've got many, many relationships happening at the same time? Yeah, um, it would be a management by exception style. So um, usually when people aren't happy, they come talk to you. When they are happy, you don't hear too much from them. Sure. So, um, you know, we'll do monthly check-ins. We have methods and management processes, but uh, it comes back to, you know, people. Okay, so other than the people factor, what are some maybe common disruptors to good growth for the companies that you're working with? Or what are some of the things that maybe impact your ecosystem working well? Yeah, like there's things that we we obviously can't control. We're in the middle of a global pandemic. What? Uh, yeah. <laughs> News. Um, so we had one client who, like, we. I'm, I'm pretty sure they're our next $100 million company. I'm so excited wow. by this. Um, and... Um, they're building bushings, so uh, for power line transmissions, um, not the sexiest market. So it's market, very exciting, but yeah. yeah. Um, but we needed to get it validated. We had customers um, lined up, and they said, as soon as you get it validated by a third-party engineering lab, we'll buy it. Well, then all the third-party engineering labs shut down. Because of COVID, we okay. couldn't get in and get it tested. So we've got our cash flow analysis, and it didn't quite play out because we're supposed to be in the market six months ago. Well, we only got the validation two months ago. So, you know, when you start seeing some of these external factors that you can't control that impact positively or negatively onto the business, then it comes back to management skills. And that's why having people that understand when you're commercializing and scaling technology, it is often not a straight line path. You have a pretty good vision of what you want to accomplish, but it's not a straight line. There's ups and downs. So Mm -hmm. management um, capacity and the ability to do variance analysis and, and change and cope with, with the changes, that's um, really the things that we think are helpful to our clients as we get hit with these unexpected changes. Right, of course. 
What about from the flip side of the coin? So that's kind of what goes on when things are tough or if yeah. there's, there's hurdles that you have to come over. From the other side, when things are going well and you've got great clients having some success stories, um, I mean, there's nothing in their clause that says they have to credit it back to you, but is word of mouth the main way that MTA markets their services? Yeah, I think, um, I would argue we don't market actually right. our services at sure. all. Um, the, our we we would probably and and now my board is going to yell at me about this both because they're always saying that we should have a bigger pro- public profile um the we would usually see clients approach us as a referral so they might go to irap um and one of the itas would say i think you might be a good fit for for the management of a technology accelerator mm-hmm. or you know they they might be starting a company and have that rich uncle or aunt and they say i need maybe ten thousand dollars and that person might say, well, you know, um, here's 10000 but you probably need more. And you might want to go see if MTA can help you um, become investable and then acquire uh, some investment. So it's the referral market, really. And um, I also believe, the, you know, we, we'd rather like to be found as opposed to be available. Sure, sure. Um, talk a little bit. Marshall, about some of the other services you guys have too, because we've talked so far about really the maybe common relationship that many of our listeners think of, of I have a new idea or I'm a founder and you guys can help that commercialization phase or that kind of growth phase. But you have other programs like your SUV program, which you can give us the whole, all the words for that acronym. <laughs> but um, but tell us about some of the other things that you guys are working on that maybe aren't as traditional of a format that to see here in Manitoba. Yeah. So again, if I come back to this idea of crawl, walk, run, um, our central business is the commercialization business unit. So that's where we've helped um, early stage technology companies commercialize their technology, right? So that's the bread and butter Mm -hmm. um, as you talk about. So um, we do now have another business unit, which is the startup visa program. Um, So that's the SUV. SUV. Yeah. Um, And what's happening in SUV is uh, the federal government asked MTA to become a designated entity um, to participate in the SUV program. Uh, I don't think there was anybody in the prairies doing it at the time. And so, like all things, we, you know, crawl, walk, run. We want a little bit of data so we can make good informed decisions. And um, the program itself is designed to attract international startups. So, you know, there's a multitude of reasons why, but maybe someone's in uh, Beijing and they don't like the air quality but they've got a great startup and they want to come to Canada for better air quality. So we can actually fast track them to permanent residence if they bring their startup here to Canada. And so we, we dabbled in that. We thought it would be good. And at, when we started, we, we tried with three to make sure we could add value to them and they could add value to us. Um, we liked the experience. And subsequently, in our business plan for the year, we said we wanted to have 30 um, startup visa clients under contract. And that was the year, um, you know, like 12 months ago that ended, right? Right, right. And I think we finished the year with 80. Um, and we're going to finish this year at about 200. We're going to have 200 in- international startups and scale-ups under contract. We think, you know, over half of them are going to come to to Manitoba. And I just get so excited to think about what this city is going to look like with 100 scale-ups and startups internationally coming to settle here, coming to grow. Um, one of our clients, um, $10 million a year annual revenue selling um, high-end computer functionality to Samsung. So uh, let's attract those types of clients here yeah. to Winnipeg and to, and to Manitoba and just build that cluster. And that comes back to 
you know, our decision-making criteria, yeah, we, we want Winnipeg to be the startup capital of Western Canada. And we'll bring in some international startups to help us get there. And I mean, I can feel the excitement even when you just talk about it, right? Like I'm, I'm wanting to know who these hundred companies are now, right? And what they're going to do for us. How hard is that criteria that their startup already has to meet or that they have to meet to participate? Uh, we have a rejection rate of about 60%. Wow. Um, and we do have, as always, you know, clear defined metrics and third-party validation. Um, coming back to, um, you know, our, our reliance on the, the community, we run three screening committees a month that look at these applications. So we've standardized the applications and we have volunteers from like, we got bankers and lawyers, so RBC and, and uh, is, a, is a great contributor to screening committees. Um, and they'll review the applications and say whether or not they think they would be a good fit for Winnipeg. So other startups, uh, other uh, businesses here in town. So they're giving us third-party validation that this would be a good company for us to work with mm -hmm. against the criteria we've set up. Are there certain gaps that we're trying to fill specifically here that you're able to share? Uh, in terms of like sectors that we're trying to attract? Yes. Really, we, you know, we're, we wouldn't be, our focus would not be sector specific. Okay. Our focus would be on stage of company. Mm -hmm. um, we think we're really good at idea stage companies and taking ideas and translating them into technologies that can scale. So we can take companies in that space. Um, really what we're looking at is any company that can scale. We'll, we'll never want to take a company that's going to serve a six-block district here in Winnipeg and just, you know, sell to Winnipeggers. We want technology companies that can scale, do uh, export sales, and bring the money from different markets back to make us rich and wealthy and, and have better quality of life. Sounds great. <laughs> so we're working on it, yeah. Okay, on that note, Marshall, we're going to get you into the speed round now. Okay. So answer with just a few words or a couple sentences, and if there's a bigger story, we can get into it afterwards. Ready? Okay, I'm ready. Okay, describe yourself in a word or two. Blessed. What motivates you? Doing what others can't. Or what others, sorry, what others tell me I can't. Uh-huh. What keeps you up at night? Uh, trying to do what others say I can't. Who has been the most influential person for you? It, it's really a blend of a bunch of people. Um, right now, it's Margot Miller. Aha, uh -huh. yes. What is one thing in business that you are so happy you did? Take risks. Mm -hmm. What's most important for your mental health? Just like being excited, being having the opportunity to be excited. Yeah, finding that passion. Yeah. Okay. What is one thing you were wrong about? Oh, like in the last five minutes. Or <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, I thought Calia couldn't sell six bouquets a week. Oh, amazing! <laughs> really, I love that. We'll have to get into that. Um, how do you continue to learn and grow? Just surround yourself with great people that that are smarter and and hard, you know, smart and hardworking and and have passion. Mm -hmm. Where are you in ten years? Uh, hopefully, right back on this couch talking to you and giving you a high five because we've made Winnipeg the startup capital of Western Canada. Love it! I would like that dream too, Marshall. Uh, you're part of it. Okay, what does being a leader mean to you? Uh, I don't think it's being in front. I think it's having um, you know people choose to follow you. It's mm -hmm. not just that you're in front hmm. and. Marshall, that's our speed round. 
I got through it. All well right. done. Well done. There were a few in there that I want to get back to. So one was about doing something other people think that you can't do. It sounds like that's probably a dream that you have for your startups too sometimes. But is there a specific example you can think of when you say that? Uh, so even going back to MTA, um, when we started that, um, so we had so we, we got interna- uh, we got people who weren't from Manitoba to sit on our board of directors. Mm-hmm. One of them was Wilson Parasuk, uh, who was recently retired as chair um, out of Vancouver, internationally recognized. Um, and so he says to you know his buddies in Vancouver, hey, I'm going to go sit on the board of MTA in Winnipeg, and we're going to build technology companies. And they ridicule him. They're like, why are you doing that? You're wasting your time. They can't do it out of Winnipeg. Mm-hmm. Um, and so just, you know, hearing that and just having people that want to prove people wrong that we can do it here mm-hmm. is, yeah. Yeah, I like that. So it, it happens a fair bit. And so just, we like proving people wrong and not just to be, you know, jackasses, <laughs> but so that we, the outcome of it is helping our community and helping our clients. Yeah. And it's just kind of a cherry on top. Sure. Is your anecdote about Calia in our speed round correct? At the beginning, did you think like selling flowers online, I really don't trust? Because you were probably dealing mostly with like biomedical type companies yeah. around that time too, right? So this was a departure. Yeah, no, uh, I, I knew I knew Calia. You joke. Could, yeah, I'm, okay. I'm just teasing. Um, it's, it's funny though, because Catherine knew it too, but she just needed someone else to tell her she could. Mm-hmm. And so then once we said like, we, when we broke it down, we we're like, well, just go sell six flowers, six bouquets. She's like, well, I can do that. I'm like, I know you can. So come talk to me next week when you've done it. Right. And so, um, yeah, like, and, and I offered a, you know, a, a cheeky comment, but I've been wrong on so many things. And, um, but, but they're like, it's not like intention, like it's not mean spirit or something. It's like, mm. we try things and being wrong is part of the learning experience. Like, you know, making mistakes, taking risks. So, um, yeah, I'm wrong on a million things. Yeah, yeah. Well, aren't we all? Um, Marshall, I like with MTA how you guys are in some ways, though, strict on who you work with. So, you know, we joke about Calia here, but and some of the diff- the variation yeah. of businesses you guys have worked with. There are many accelerators out there in the world, right? And some of them we hear about a lot. Some of them we may not. They might be kind of more under the radar. Where, how do you guys decide who you want to work with? Can you give share some criteria or that sense of thinking? So, um, I, I am the decision maker on who we work with. And number one, I have to like the person or the, or, or the people. Um, the, the, you know, they need to have a bit of humility. Um, they have to be wanting to start a, a company to help others, not just for themselves. Um, we need to see technology that can scale. And then I like, okay, so here's my simple tricks in interview tricks. Um, whenever we meet with somebody on the intake side, you know, if they if they look like they're they're good folks, if they've got some technology that looks like it could be disruptive, and I ask them what stops them from being successful, they usually rattle off five things. I go, okay, um, if you're interested in working with us, here's your homework. Go do three things. Three of the and five. Three Ooh. of the five. And it, it, it doesn't even have to be like the full length of, but if they say, I need customers, I go, okay, go call five customers and say, would you buy my stuff? And that doesn't mean they have to be successful. It just means they have to start doing things. Mm-hmm. And the the clients, you know, the, or the the people that get back to me four months later and they say, yeah, you know, I, I sort of did this. We understand this is a hobby for them and they're not quite ready yet. Um, the people that come back to me the next day, 
say I've done this and two other things, that's a pretty good indication of people we want to work with. And then they got to meet the team. We usually walk them around um, the, the the floor space, make sure that the other clients like them. It's, you know, you're bringing someone into your family, right? Mm-hmm. Has that differed now that the world has gone so virtual? Um, yeah, a little bit. Um, fair point. So um, we've brought in two clients without, um, you know, the the vetting I mean, of the team. But sure, uh, yeah. We... Uh, we're, we're pretty, I think we're pretty good at, at knowing who we want to work with. And, mm-hmm. you know, and just like we don't want to work with everybody, everybody doesn't want to work with us. So it's, it's a relationship. Let's talk about that other side of the coin. So if I've got a business and I'm wondering who I should work with, because this is a big thing, right? You might, there might be some equity involved. There might, and there's certainly a lot of time commitment involved with working with you or, or yeah. other programs. What should I be looking for in an accelerator? What should they be looking for in you? Yeah, so I guess um, just to rephrase the question, if someone's thinking about joining an accelerator or an incubator, what should they be looking for? Yeah, exactly. Um, How do I they think, qualify whether you're the right one for them? Yeah, so number one, be clear on what it is you want. Um, there's some there's some programs that offer subsidized space, right? So just like a co-working space. So really understand, like, again, I would, I would, you know, not to sound like a broken record, but what stops you from being successful, think about some of those things write them down and then start talking to incubators and accelerators or, you know, friends and family or anybody, um, the librarian or the barista and say, you know, here, do you have the ability to add value to my life and fill these gaps and be really clear on what it is you want? Um, and it, you know, if I would also give a bit of, an, uh, words of perspective, don't expect if you're going to build a, hundred million dollar company that you're going to own all of it by the end of the day. Um, so another bit of a litmus test we do is the reason we take equity, it's not really because the 5% that gets diluted down to like a half a percent down the road means something to me. It's because I want to make sure that we're dealing with people who know that it's going to take a village to build their company and they better be prepared to have other people win alongside them. Mm-hmm. So um, that would, you know, that would probably be something that if you're looking at incubators and accelerators, just be aware of that sort of litmus test that's out there. And that doesn't necessarily rule it out. Yeah, because I think there is a big debate around that, right? If you should participate in accelerators or incubators that do or don't take equity and what's maybe the difference between them. But perhaps from what you're saying, there's not maybe an outside visible difference. It's maybe a bit of a mentality shift. If you're successful, that 5% is a rounding error on the books at the end of the year. so it's, yeah, mm-hmm. we, we use it a bit more as a um, personality check. If an organization is at the point or a founder is at the point where they think what they need most is funding, perhaps if when you take a critical <laughs> look, they might need more than that. But if that's where they yeah. believe they're at, what's your advice for them at that point? Yeah, so I mean, sometimes we have people that approach us for, for funding. Right. Um, and we, our model is we have a relationship-based funding approach. So we want to work with someone for six months. Um, we don't necessarily have a transaction-based funding approach where we look at a pitch deck and then say yes. Right. We want to know, um, can the management team hit milestones? How do they respond to stresses? How do they respond to other people? Um, and we want to have some of our CEO mentors get involved in the company and sort of get under the hood, right? Because then if we have a subject matter expertise who's built a company in this space and exited and then knows the networks, and then they say, you know what? Like, founders are good, tech's good, beta customers are good then it's pretty easy to make that investment. Um, so 
if someone's looking for funding, just make sure that you un- go again to the right types of channels and processes that fit what you want to do. If you want to do a pitch deck, maybe go find an angel group. Um, if you want to do something a bit more involved on a relationship base, um, incubators and accelerators might also be an a- avenue for you. Mm-hmm. Good advice. And you guys also are helpful with navigating government funding because not everyone knows how to do that piece either. Yeah. I understand even like early COVID, Vexit, who's one of your companies doing really interesting tech matching, yeah. um, who actually was on last season of our show, yeah. they got some a nice amount of government funding and I think you helped with that. Talk a bit about what that type of funding looks like. Yeah, so I mean, one of the values that we want to do is... Um, have a good awareness of what the financial supports are from the various levels of government and the various tax programs. And we would consider ourselves pretty good at leveraging access to capital. So, um, you know, a lot of times people go to, you know, maybe raise 50,000 bucks and I say, don't spend that yet. Um, get the 50,000 bucks, let's put it in the bank and then let's see what we can leverage that off against and really see if we can make $50,000 turn into $100,000. Um, and then the other thing that I think we have value for is... Uh, I think MTA is a pretty good investment. Um, So governments, when we have an MTA client and we say, you know, we've got this client and we're supporting them with our management people and our commercialization pathway. um, And we, you know, we can help make sure that the reporting is right. Like, I I, I think we're a bit of an easier choice maybe at Mm -hmm. some times or a, a less risky choice than if someone was to just apply on their own. So one of the things that's central to our services to clients is a financial plan, which includes leveraging capital from the various sources, yes. Mm -hmm. So one of those pieces that you just talked about when someone's receiving government funding is that they've got maybe like your name on there as well, which helps for that risk management from the government standpoint. What are some other areas where you might help an organization with risk management? Yeah, so, and again, that, that point is just, my opinion, I don't know if it's shared by yeah. people. No, but I have the, heard by, common anecdotes of that from different sorry. organizations and different projects. So, yeah, certainly. But um, In terms of other risk management, um, really, I think it's just the, the process of quick fails and validation and checkpoints. Um, and even finding the right people. So, we know that there's some, you know, like, let's say there's 100 technology, like IT consulting shops. Some are really good with working with Wawanisa and Great West Life and really levering up on project management and depth and skills. And there's other ones that are maybe more tuned to saying, we're going to whip something together that's an MVP and we're going to throw it onto the market and then we're going to figure out all the problems and we're going to do break fix as it goes. And so neither one is better, but different ones are maybe better for different situations. So one of the other risk mitigations is we can probably help our clients choose uh, or have access to partners that understand the right approach for the stage of the company that they are at and um, help accelerate that process. Mm -hmm. And you talked in there about failure. How much failure is okay when you're starting a new business? (laughs) Yeah, I guess, you know, there's little little whoopsies and big whoopsies. Um, The... You know, it, it. there's no right answer for that. It's, <laughs> yeah, it's a bit of a trick question. This is, this is art. Yeah, like it's, I mean, number one is what's your appetite for getting punched in the face? Um, if you're ready to take four or five good shots, then, you know, three isn't too many. Um, <laughs> but we really like probing the market and trying to get yeses on value propositions and then trying to build technology that supports that. Um, and, you know, sometimes we still think that there's a hope. I've been, you know, working for 
on a company for seven years. I, we've had so many, we've fallen down and scraped our knees so many times, but I am still bullish on this company. Mm-hmm. So I haven't, I haven't heard a fundamental shift of failure yet. Still good technology, still good market access and, and, and opportunity. So, um, you know, we've, we've hit hiccups along the way, but fundamentally in my bones, I still believe in this. Mm-hmm. Marshall, I want to talk a bit about some of the companies that have really been successful through all this because I've been asking you all these questions about how to do it and what it looks like. I think it helps sometimes to have that anecdotal evidence. And so there's many that are really interesting in that biomedical kind of field that people may not have heard of. There's some that you guys have worked with that we have. And so I'll let you kind of, you know, share whichever example makes the most sense here. <laughs> but one of those names, you know, is Skip the Dishes. We've already talked about Calia and Vexit. So those are some local names people might know. Right. Um, and the guys that Skip the Dishes have since sold and they're starting another venture. And they, they stayed in the prairies, just not in Winnipeg. But so, <laughs> they, you know, they are still put, putting into that ecosystem. So there's a lot going on. And a lot of these people that started with you guys and are maybe doing something still exciting in the community. Yeah. So, I, I mean, this is the interesting part of that is the recycling of successful entrepreneurs. And one of the things that actually, when when we started, and, and maybe I'll just give a slightly different uh, answer to the question. When we started, the biggest gap we had, we had no success stories. If, if you go, if one of the th- questions I would ask people maybe 10 years ago is, Name a company, a technology-based, a product-based technology company that started here that did well for the founders. And nobody would give great answers. Mm-hmm. Like, you'd have to go probably back to Winrow, um, which, you know, turned into Kanjin. Um, And so we didn't have examples of success to attract new companies to say we can do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and we didn't have a ton of management class that could cycle and build technology companies. So now with Skip exiting, all those founders are back into the next businesses. Um, so, you know, that's, I think, great for us in yep. terms of the community. To your point, we've done, uh, most of our businesses are in the B2B space, not the B2C space. Uh, your notable examples being Vexit, um, Skip, and Calia. So that's where uh, listeners might have some affiliation with those. But we've got a fair bit of med tech companies. Um, so we've got Kubresa, for example, and uh, James was supposed to join me today, as, yeah. as you know. Um, and so they're building world-class medical imaging technology that isn't done anywhere else. So they're building an intraoperative, uh, again, a, a, being the ability to do imaging while surgical procedures, but also integrating two technology platforms into PET and MRI. So you can do cross images. Like, n- I barely understand it all, but what I do know is this technology is so powerful, we took it to China and they built a joint venture with us because we want to enter the Chinese market. So now we're taking this world-class technology out of Winnipeg and we've done this several times, um, but speaking to the Cabrera's example, and we're able to win in China and form joint ventures to enter the Chinese market and then they actually send some technology back here and we layer it on top of, say, that circuit board and then we've now got a global world-class technology company with most of it developed here out of Winnipeg. But it's just when we start assembling these things, it's great. And these are maybe the stories that you're not going to hear of because they're not B2C. But on the B2B space, or even my the, the Bushings company that I commented about, you'll probably never hear about these companies because they don't touch how you live your life. Mm-hmm. But they're building fundamental change into the medical technology space or you know the infrastructure space. 
To your point of needing an example in order to get more of that same thing happening here, you know, it makes a lot of sense. Is there something that we can do to help elevate or or bring more companies here when they are that B2B? Like, do we just have to tell those stories or, or what else can we do? Yeah, I, I mean, when you say bring companies here, I've, I'm actually not, despite the fact that we're onto the SUV side, sorry, did you want to? No, no, go ahead. Just, okay, despite the fact we want to bring 200 international companies here, right? I would argue uh, and, and there we have a unique selling proposition, which is come to Canada. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know if we want to get into the attraction of businesses. My vision is to make Winnipeg a head office economy again, mm-hmm. but to do it by growing companies here. So Skip's head office is here. Um, I don't know if we want to get in the business of trying to attract B2B companies, but let's build these companies. And if we can get the local investment, you know, by the time you get a company that's maybe 30 people, it's hard to move that company. So our strategy is get that angel round to help them grow to 30. Then we can look to external capital. But by that time, you can't really move the company. Mm-hmm. So we would probably be on um, a build it as opposed to attract it approach. Yeah, yeah. And well, we've got some other examples like that where they decided not to move and they've become really interesting big companies like Bold Commerce is one. And yeah, for sure. Some that people know. But again, those are that B2C where people maybe like recognize it a little bit more. Um, is there any other stories like that that you can think of of, of successes or even maybe... Actually, maybe it's more interesting, Marshall, if we ask about if there's any fake companies that failed, but that you thought maybe could have gone a different direction that you guys have worked with. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I wasn't uh, I wasn't prepared for that one. Um, <laughs> yeah, I tricked you there. The you know the, the stats are are most companies are going to fail. So um, there's there's you know I might have a different view on some, mm-hmm. um, and like like frankly. I wouldn't ever want to say founder XYZ didn't listen no. to me. And, and like, I'll, I'll dance around one, which is where I thought um, one of the companies got too fascinated at building pitch decks and trying to get venture capital as opposed to building a, a solid business mm-hmm. um, with an MVP and, and beta customer acquisition and testing it. Mm-hmm. So we really like that approach of build something, get it into the market, like race to market, get customers, and then iterate and and scale, um, as opposed to build pitch decks and look for $2 million. It's amazing how many people don't listen to that. Because on the show, the biggest advice that everyone has is you just have to start, you just have to get out there, right? That's the biggest advice. Yeah. Do you have any other advice if someone has already failed? Like, would you recommend they try again and do it differently? Or, or what's the advice to someone maybe who might come to you and say, I want to be a founder, I've had ideas before, but I've failed? Uh, I mean, it could just be that bad technology, uh, right? So I mean, the way I look at it too is so I I'm I'm not I don't play poker. Um, I'm I'd be horrible at it. Um, but if you and I are going to play poker, the entrance to the game of poker, so at at your table here, is we each need chips, right? Yep. So technology is the chips. So that just gets it to the table. So now you got your chips and I got my chips. But who's going to win? The best player. But we're starting from the technology base, which is largely equivalent, right? Everybody's got good disruptive technology. It's how you play the game. Um, And so maybe the founder had bad chips. Maybe the founder needed more of a team. Um, Maybe, you know, like if I would say just reflect and try to figure out what didn't go right. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it's just bad luck. We launched, oh, I'll tell you about Okay, here, can we, you want to hear about one of my, my yeah. biggest failing on technology commercialization? Yeah. There, I can throw myself under the bus. Perfect. So, <laughs> we got into this business of 
back in like maybe 15 years ago, before the advancements into clean tech came through, we had a clean tech engine, so a wave engine. So there was wave energy was a big thing sort of in the mid 90s. And so the two challenges is you had surge and heat forces, right? So the, the thing, like if you have a bobber in the ocean, it goes up and down, and then you also have waves that come horizontally. And so you could never quite get enough power generated from the waves to have something that would compete in a kilowatt hour. So we invented this thing that sat on an angle and we could harvest the heave and the surge. And it looked good. We did third-party testing at the U of M in a lab. Uh, Jay Doring, who's now uh, a VP at the U of M, was there. And so he loved this. And, and so we still chuckle about this one. And so we we manufacture this wonderful prototype. We raise capital. We go out to Halifax. We launch out there. We're in the ocean. And we spend all the money building a really good engine. But then we, the thing needed to float, right? So you got to put it out in the ocean. So we just threw some plywood around it and didn't much care about the stuff we knew we could solve. The engineering, we, the innovation, we engineered heavily and deployed. The stuff we knew we could make, we didn't care about. So we just, because of course we can make it when we want. We didn't need to test it. We throw the thing out in the ocean. Three days later, the storm of the decade hits. <laughs> it was built for two foot waves. There were 10 foot waves. The thing got swamped washed ashore. And then we were actually happy because our engine survived. We said, great survivability testing. Then it took us eight months to get the thing back out into the ocean. We burned all our cash. The financial crisis hit and we were done. So, I mean, there. What I, could have been, what could, yeah. <laughs> So, I mean, we just didn't need the storm of the decade to hit. Um, oh, I love that story. So that's like, er, that's early phase Marshall Ring with his, with his creation. Mad Hatter. Let's go to the other end of the spectrum. What's happening now with MTA? What's the future? Um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm so proud of, of what the organization has accomplished. Uh, the people that we have, um, you know, we're getting close to getting our KPIs together. Uh, looks like the clients that we helped launch will do about a quarter of a billion dollars of revenue this year. Um, clients that are still under... Uh, active and grad. Active so Skip, of course, wow. being on there. Okay, um, yeah. And, but, you know, there was a time when they were the lion's share. They still are. But, you know, even if we remove them, um, we're talking about significant economic impacts. Um, we're going to be bringing in, you know, 200 SUV international clients. Um, and my, I, I've got a board meeting coming up uh, later this week. And I'm hopeful that we're going to start the conversation about having an angel investment fund that MTA will manage and, you know, right now we can provide some good supports and, and we help facilitate access to capital. But, um, you know, I'm hoping that we're going to have the ability to directly invest into 10 or 15 startups here in Winnipeg and, and help them accelerate. So, um, you know, the future, I think, is is really good. Maybe not, you know, you know, maybe MTA in the background, but I think the future is really good for, for Winnipeg startup companies in the tech space. And, uh, you know, gosh, I'm really looking forward to to seeing how we do in the next five years as a as a team here. Yeah, I'm looking forward to watching along, following along too, Marshall. If someone's just kind of scratching the surface on this topic that we've kind of covered today, this might be like a quick crash course. We, you managed to cover a lot here for us, Marshall, but are there any resources or anywhere that you would send people that, that have kind of been helpful for you or for the clients that you've worked with? Yeah, like, uh, of course, uh, I'll go back to NRC IRAP, the, the ITAs there. Um, they're, they're really good and they've got a lot of time for people, um, or they give a lot of time for people. Um, the, and, and there's now, I think, enough sort of 
people starting companies that, you know, your neighbor might be a good resource. Um, <laughs> and, you know, Margo, I think, you know, you're giving with your time as well. And then there's organizations like Tech Manitoba, like Bioscience Association of Manitoba. You think of the industry associations, they're well plugged into all of this. So there's a lot of uh, organizations and resources out there. And I think also, um, for the most part, like I know, you know, BAM and then uh, Tech Manitoba and like, we're all, you know, we're all the extended family here. Right? We're all pretty aligned on on wanting to see companies do well in Winnipeg and Manitoba. So um, I would, I, I think there's lots of supports out there for people to, to mm -hmm. approach. Mm -hmm. And I think that really takes us back to part of where we started in this conversation of the right stakeholders, the right people together. We do have a vast community of different supports here. And it's really just like asking someone that you know, because we're all, you know, a few degrees of separation yeah. away and there are tons of people willing to support. Yeah, yeah, you bet. Um, and, I, you know, if I compare again to maybe some of the bigger centers, I think that's great because, you know, you're one or two calls away from decision makers and and, and the organizations. And it's a bit more clear clear line of a path, right? Mm -hmm. um, so I, I, you know, coming back to the scale comment, um, I actually think Winnipeg is, is the perfect size to build technology companies out of just because we have that sense of community. Yeah. Yeah, we're lucky. Marshall, that's our show today. I had a blast. Thanks Thank for having so me. Thank you so much. Thanks for coming on. Okay. If you enjoyed today's episode and want to learn more about our guests, visit startpodcast.ca and be sure to rate and review us wherever you're listening. If you're new to the show and want more Canadian business inspiration, subscribe before you go. Start Canada Podcast is produced by your host, Margot Miller, with audio and visual creation by Event Pro and support from Dunor Systems. Start Canada Podcast is powered by the Manitoba Technology Accelerator and Tech Manitoba and sponsored by Scotiabank. Bank.